Hello, and welcome to the second episode of our podcast series, AGG Talks, Antitrust and White Collar Crime Roundup, in which we cover the legal facts surrounding recent cases, trends, and hot topics related to antitrust and white collar crime with some of the foremost legal analysts in the country. My name is Jeff Jakobowicz. I am a trial attorney with Arnell Golden Gregory, chair of the firm's antitrust group and a former Federal Trade Commission attorney. I'm joined today by Steve Cernak, who has been an adjunct professor at the University of Michigan Law School and Western Michigan Cooley Law School since 2009. He is a frequent blogger and commentator on antitrust issues and author of two books on antitrust. He is a longtime leader of the American Bar Association Antitrust Law Section and currently serves as section vice chair. Steve was also the in-house antitrust lawyer at General Motors for more than 20 years, and he's here today with me to discuss the recent civil and criminal investigations and indictments for no-poach cases. Steve, thanks so much for joining me. Let's get started. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Sure. So we've had a whole series of um, no-poach cases recently brought by DOJ and the FTC and discussions related to them over the last six or seven years, I would say, maybe more. How would you define what a no-poach agreement is? Sure. You know, and that's actually a, perhaps a little more difficult question than you might actually think. I would define it at least narrowly as an agreement between two or more employers who compete for employees um, not to hire the other employer's workers. And I say compete for employees. That involves employers, even if they do not compete on the product sales side, um, there, there's still going to be uh, issues here. Most of these agreements that we're going to be talking about, we would describe as, as naked agreements. That is, the only agreement, the only aspects of the agreement is that they would agree not to, to hire each other's workers. So these agreements are not connected to, or the magic term, ancillary to you know, something else, some other joint venture or, or, or something along those lines. Um, and there might be something a little less than a full agreement, perhaps, an agreement not to cold call each other's employees. Um, that that can raise uh, similar concerns as well. Um, but also, you know, when you talk about no poach agreements and when you see the, the term no poach agreements used in, in some of the media, that also includes agreements on wages. Um, so technically not a no poach agreement, but simply an agreement on what it is that we will, we will pay our, our employees and what it is that you'll pay, pay your employees. So wage fixing. Uh, but a lot of times, uh, you know, those get lumped in with no poaches as well. So are these agreements always in labor markets? Well, I, I mean, technically, yes, because we're talking about employees and employers. Um, but, you know, we're, we're talking about employers who produce a, a many different products or many different services as well. So yes, it, it's always on the on the labor side of, of, of the markets, um, but it certainly uh, it involves lots of different products or service markets. And um, can it involve market allocation? Yes, it, it, it certainly can. I mean, so you know, we can we can talk about. Um, you know, we won't employ your folks or 
Um, you know, you'll deal with employees on, on you know, that side of the street, and we'll deal with them on this side of the street. All of those are going to end up being treated the same way from an antitrust perspective. You know, frankly, in the same way on the sell side, you know, price fixing would be treated the same way as quantity fixing and be treated the same way as market allocation from you know, who's going to sell to whom. You know, think of it as, as who's going to buy um, you know the, the the labor services here, and and it could involve employee salaries. Yes, uh, uh, yes, and it certainly. And, and again, we're, we're we're talking about technically salaries or wages or any aspects of the salaries or, or wages. So perhaps benefits or agreeing on terms. Let's all agree, you know, not to allow remote work or something along those lines. Um, but we are leaving out. Uh, any represented uh, em- employees, so any you know union negotiations with um, you know groups of employers there. And what about um, if they share information? Can that be a concern from an antitrust perspective? Well, you know, it, 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 technically, if if all you do is share information, no, that's not enough. But if the the sharing of information can be evidence that perhaps. Um, you've gotten together and and actually agreed on on the wages or agreed who to hire or not to hire. Um, so it, it, in the same way that in, in the price fixing um, uh, context, if everybody raises their prices on day X and it turns out that two days earlier, they all got together and talked about prices, that that combination of evidence can can be enough to to find a price fixing agreement. Here, if you share information about, for instance, wages, and then you know continue to only pay a, a certain wage and do not raise it, that can be evidence uh, that uh, you've agreed on, on wage fixing. And when did the government, and when I say the government, I'm talking about the FTC and the Department of Justice, start pursuing these cases, both civilly and criminally? Well, I, I think the magic date really is October 2016. There, there were other civil cases prior to that, but in October of 2016, the FTC and the Department of Justice and Antitrust Division jointly put out some guidance, uh, antitrust guidance for human resources professionals. Most of that guidance was, you know, plain vanilla, something that many of us counselors had had been providing to to our um, uh, clients for years and years. The same sorts of questions that we've been we've been talking about already. You know, don't fix wages. Don't agree with uh, competing employers. Um, but a couple of things were were different here. One, you know, the the enforcement agencies had never felt the need to take uh, to to send out this kind of of guidance before. Turns out that there were enough cases going on that you know they were they thought that this was important. But two. The Department of Justice Antitrust Division uh, it took this opportunity as part of this October 2016 document, uh, took the opportunity to say that from now on, they would at least consider bringing criminal uh, charges for any naked, no poach or wage fixing agreements from, from this point forward. Um, and that that was new. The, the criminal aspect of, of that was new. And, you know, were there some earlier cases like, um, for example, Noah Bremsey, Inray Railway, Duke University during this time period? Yeah, there were several 
uh, civil cases prior to October 2016. Uh, a number of those, uh, you know, got settled out uh, with with some sort of consent decrees. Um, probably the ones that uh, you you mentioned some of the ones that uh, that made it into the into the uh, mass media, um, but also there were some involving high tech industries. So uh, Google, Apple, Intel, Intuit, Pixar, um, all. Um, reached agreements with uh, with the enforcement authorities not to further agree uh, regarding what they would do about others' uh, employees. So th- that's, again, one of those examples where uh, they had at least allegedly agreed not to cold call each other's employees. That's why I say the October 2016, it's not like nothing was happening before then. There was something that was happening before, but October 2016 is when it all sort of came to a head. Yeah, you know, Steve, for those of us who practice in the criminal antitrust area, and I do, um, I had one of these cases dealt with the Department of Justice in a criminal investigation, which luckily went away and my client was not indicted. But I think everybody who practices in this area has run into it because it's pretty prevalent right now. Uh, Was there a memorandum of understanding with the Labor Department at some point? Yes. So so more recently, um, the Department of Justice just reached a yeah an, an MOU with the with DOL with the Department of Labor, um, and and I think that is it indicates that you know while this is not a you know blue red uh, Democrat Republican thing I mean this policy that was started in 26, uh, 2016, um, you know continued on through the Trump administration and is continuing on through the Biden administration, but the Biden administration is sort of you know, taking it up an, another level um, and uh, is looking at various ways in which anti-competitive practices might be affecting labor markets, whether it's wages or opportunities to to change jobs and the like. Um, and the Biden administration has tried to take a whole of government approach to these kinds of issues as, as well. So, you know, not just compartmentalizing antitrust issues with the FTC or the Department of Justice, um, but getting other agencies in, in, involved, making sure that uh, they take these kinds of considerations into account when they when they form their policies as well. Um, and, and of course, the Biden administration is, is the one that has has been bringing some of these more recent uh, criminal cases that we'll, we'll talk about in a, in a few minutes, even if I'm sure many of those investigations started you know, many years, many years ago, perhaps even during the Trump administration. And has the DOJ ever brought uh, obstruction charges in this context when dealing with these cases? Yeah, one of the more uh, recent cases um, in, involving uh, wage fixing um, really uh, talked about not just an agreement to to you know fix wages, uh, but to ob- obstruct the investigation uh, as, as well. Um, and so in, in that case, um, the, that was in April of 2022, um, the, the government ended up losing on the wage fixing claims, uh, but they did end up getting a, a victory on the obstruction charges. That is, one of the defendants was convicted of lying to the investigators. So, you know, it's something to keep in mind as you talk to your, your clients, you know, maybe you win or maybe you, you at least mostly win, but, um, you know, the, the penalties for, um, for even just partial winning can still be uh, uh, severe. And, and the defendants that you've named in different cases, 
Have any of them uh, pled guilty to any of these charges? Yeah, there was there was one out in Las Vegas um, in a again, this was this was a wage fixing case. Um, you know, so technically not no poach, but wage fixing. Um, and there the the individual, um, you know, it, it pled and the, um, you know, the company that he worked for pled as well. But the individual agreed to community service and deferred prosecution. So, you know, again, uh, you know, hopefully for him uh, not going to jail, but still uh, some severe penalties. And what about um, any defendants who have gone to trial? There, there have been a number of trials in this area. Isn't that true? Yeah, that that's definitely true. And, and the interesting part here is that um, the the uh, de- uh, Department of Justice has actually been losing a lot of these cases, which was I, I think unusual and certainly uh, you know not expected by by those of us who have been in the in the antitrust world for for a long time. Um, the judges in these cases seem to have accepted the theory that yes. Um, these kinds of charges can be brought criminally. Yes, these sorts of agreements might be automatically, per se, illegal. Um, so the Department of Justice has made some good precedent there, um, and and you know has has won some of those theoretical rulings that, you know, on the motions to dismiss. But once those facts have gotten in front of juries, or in one case even just uh, the, the the judge. For the most part, you know, except for this this line to investigator uh, 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 charge, most of the time the Department of Justice has has been losing. Um, the fact finder, whether the jury or a judge, has been finding that uh, you know that, that there wasn't an agreement, um, or that certainly that there was not a, a criminal agreement. So you know that that was what's unusual here. And the, did that happen recently in a a trial in in the district district court of Connecticut? With yeah, that, that's the that's the most recent example, and that's the one in, back in April of, of this year of 2023, where the the judge didn't even let the case go to the jury. Um, the the judge found that um, there wasn't enough evidence to allow even a jury to consider whether there was a no poach agreement. Um, you know, the the uh, Justice Department had alleged that there was an agreement not to let uh, employees. Uh, you know, jump from one employer to another. And the judge said, yeah, but there seems to be so many exceptions to that. And there seems to be so many, so much actual jumping from one employer to another that, you know, how how can I, I can't let a jury uh, find that agreement. No reasonable jury could find such an agreement. Right. And the judge granted uh, what's called the motion for judgment of acquittal, which in criminal cases is pretty rare. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. e- e- exactly. And it was, so again, surprising um, because the, the judge accepted the theory, but the facts didn't even come close to proving. And in the um, context of the various cases that have gone to trial, a number of them have been in the healthcare area. Is that correct? Yes. Um, it, for instance, in, in March of this year, uh, an, another case where the Department of Justice lost, um, four home health care companies uh, were acquitted of wage fixing uh, uh, up in Maine. Uh, last year, April of 2022, uh, a, a, a kidney dialysis uh, a company uh, and its CEO or former CEO uh, were charged uh, with conspiring with three other companies to, um, uh, to to not hire each other's workers. And, and again, that the 
uh, they were acquitted. The, the Justice Department lost that one as well. So, um, so, so yes, um, it, it happens to be a lot of these in, in the healthcare industry. Right. And the, and the Connecticut case was actually their fourth trial loss this year. And 13 defendants have been acquitted in four jury trials. So I guess the question is, how does that impact on the DOJ and FTC enforcement policy in the future? Why, why does the DOJ keep taking these cases to trial? Well, I mean, I, I think the the Justice Department believes in the theory, and again, uh, in their in their press releases following or in, in other public comments following these these losses, they keep emphasizing that the judges have accepted the theory, and and that's certainly true. So they the Justice Department is um, setting some good judicial precedent, but um, you know, I think what they've done here is they've they've uh, decided that they're going to bring some difficult cases. Uh, they're going to try to discourage this kind of behavior from happening elsewhere. Um, but I think what they've done is either you know, pick the wrong cases or not uh, 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 presented the evidence to uh, to a court in a way that helps them win. And I think that you know, that's that could come back to to haunt them uh, eventually. Um, the the um, interorum effect uh, is is going to be uh, lessened if they keep losing all the time. Future um, potential defendants are not going to be as afraid of the Justice Department will end up fighting. Yeah, you know that's interesting because I always thought in the past the Justice Department Antitrust Division should associate with local U.S. attorneys' offices when trying these cases because they have more experience in front of the judges. Uh, but this could be a case selection issue, you know, as as you mentioned. But DOJ still says they'll take them to trial. I mean, do they think there's a deterrent effect? I, I think they think, it, yes, that there there is a de de deterrent effect, at, at least in, in some way. And, and certainly that there is some truth to that. Uh, e even when you win, as you well know, at one of these in one of these cases, um, you as the defendant, um, you know, have your life turned upside down. Um, and you certainly have the, the threat of going to jail hanging over your head for at least months at a time. So, yes, you would think that that does um, provide some sort of deterrent effect. But I do think the Justice Department is going to have to do a better job of of case selection, of, of uh, evidence uh, presentation. I think they're going to have to do a better job at describing not just, oh, there was information sharing, but also and look, there's evidence that the wages would have been higher otherwise, or employees would have moved to other companies otherwise. Not going all the way to some rule of reason, let's try to figure out you know, in the but-for world what would have happened, but still, uh, I think making a, a better presentation to the jury that you know this really was bad and affected real world individuals uh and and i think that they can uh, they can do that and in you know win more cases well um i think we're out of time steve but I, i'd like to thank you and um listeners you know we hope you found this discussion to be informative if you have any questions or want to submit any feedback on topics for future podcasts please feel free to reach out to me jeff jacobovitz you can find my contact information on agg.com and future podcast episodes will be distributed through the agg website and social media pages thank you again for joining us